1: Hey, thanks for tuning in to Corvette Today, the podcast that talks about everything Corvette. I'm your host, Steve Garrett. Thanks for tuning in. You can listen to Corvette Today on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Anchor.fm, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Overcast, and more. And you can also listen on your smart device as well. Just say, hey, Alexa, or hey, Google, play the podcast called Corvette Today, and you're connected. Also visit the Corvette Today website, it's corvettetodaypodcast.com. You can also sign up for Corvette Today notifications, updates and information at corvettetoday.ck.page. I'd like to thank our flagship sponsor of Corvette Today, Hendrick Chevrolet of Kansas City. Hendrick is the largest seller of Corvettes in the Kansas City area and they ship nationwide. Visit chevyusa.com. Or call 913-384-1550. That's 913-384-1550. My guest on Corvette today is a person you'll recognize by face and by voice. He was the host of Corvette Nation TV show on the Discovery Channel. He's a former ABC Dallas TV anchorman and reporter. He wrote, produced, and directed the feature-length documentary called The Quest, The Quest was a story about the documentation of the life of Corvettes at Carlisle co-founder Chip Miller and his dream of finding the winning class C3 Corvette from the Le Mans race. And we'll talk about that documentary here a little bit later on Corvette today. He loves all things Chevrolet, especially Corvette. My guest on Corvette today, Mr. Michael Brown. Michael, welcome to the podcast.
2: Hey, Steve. Good to hear from you, and thank you very much. I've really been enjoying your Corvette Today podcast. I think you're onto something great, and I'm thrilled to be a small part of it.
1: Well, thank you. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time to be on the podcast. Michael, let's talk about your love for Corvette. When did you first realize that Corvette was the car for you?
2: You know, I go all the way back a long time ago, Steve. I grew up in a small town in southeast Oklahoma, Hugo, born and raised there. I have an older brother, same thing. And when I was a junior in high school, now I'm really going to date myself on this. <laughs> when I was a junior in high school, the ads started showing up for the new 63 split window Corvette. Now, I'm not even sure I'd ever seen a Corvette in person, but that car, I, w- I was smitten, as was a lot of people. The styling, the design of that car, it looked like it was in motion when it was sitting still. And I couldn't even dream about one day owning that car. But I said to myself, someday, someday, and of course, I never really thought it would happen. But that day did come 22 years later. I was about seven or eight years or more into my marriage to my wife, Sandra. And one day I saw a small want ad. Now you'd never see a one ad now for a car like that, but a small one ad in the Dallas paper. And a guy was selling a 63 split window Corvette. I contacted him, went out and looked at it. And I said, this is it. I've got to have it. The next question was, what is my wife going to think about this? So I, <laughs> <laughs> she may not be nearly as enthusiastic as I am. So I was a little bit coy, and I made several copies, Xerox copies of that ad, and just left them around the house, and she thoroughly ignored them for a couple of days. And then finally, right before dinner on the second day, she said, just go out and buy the damn thing, that'll be my 40th (laughs) birthday present to you. And then she added, and get over your middle age crazies. Now, 35 years later, and several more Corvettes added to the collection, I did follow her advice and go get it, and it was a great 40th birthday present. It would be hard to make a case, however, that I did, in fact, get over my middle age crazies. Anyway, it's been a fun run, and I love the car, Then, and I still have it. It's my first Corvette, and it will always be a part of my family.
1: Michael, that sounds like a great story. That woman, she's a saint. She's a saint. You know that, don't you? (laughs)
2: That's wonderful. Yeah, oh, absolutely. She is a saint.
1: And, you know, with me, I've said it on the podcast before, the 63 split window was the car that got me hooked on Corvettes, too.
2: Well, yeah, absolutely.
1: And it's a shame that they only made it for one year. That purchase was in 1985, wasn't
2: it? It was, it was. And this sounds like I'm, oh, woe is me, but it was the only Corvette I had for many years. I drove it not every day, but that fulfilled my dream. And then a few years down the road, I started thinking about the uh, 62 Corvette because obviously that was the last one of the C1 generation. Of course, the 63 was the first 10th anniversary car and the first of the C2s. And with the 62, we have just the hint of what was coming with 63 with that dovetail rear end. And the 62, just always a beautiful little car. So I had an opportunity to buy a 62 Roadster a number of years ago, and suddenly I had two Corvettes, and I never really set out to have a Corvette collection, but you know know how that goes, and so it just sort of evolved from there. I don't have a large collection. I mean, there are many, many collections far superior to mine in quality and quantity and everything else, but that's really how it started for me. It was just an evolutionary process, and I've loved every minute of the way.
1: Well, first of all, Michael, if you have to have one Corvette, the 63 split window is the Corvette to have.
2: Oh, I absolutely agree.
1: And, and number two, you have a terrific collection of Corvettes that everybody can see on hookedoncorvettes.com.
2: It's actually hookedonvettes.com. Hooked on Corvettes will probably get you there anyway, but the actual website is hookedonvettes.com. And you used that term earlier. I think that sort of summarizes what a lot of us Corvette enthusiasts feel. It's hard to explain, but if you like Corvettes, you really like them, and we all tend to be hooked on vets.
1: Absolutely right. Well, talk about the other Corvettes that are in the collection and where they are there in Dallas.
2: Well, we're actually in Arlington, which is right between Dallas and Fort Worth, and where the Cowboys were AT&T Stadium and the Rangers Stadium. We're right in the middle of the big Dallas-Fort Worth area. We love being centrally located, and so the collection is on our residential property. I have a few more than a dozen, and they range from a black 54, which was a pretty rare color in 54, all the way up to a black 2020, which I was able to acquire the new mid-engine, which is just a fantastic car, and I'm certainly not the first to say that. So with a sprinkling of Corvettes that I like in between. Interestingly, the 54 and the 2020 are the only automatic transmission Corvettes that I have because in both years, that's all you could get was an automatic. I never thought we'd see the day as we have with the 2020 that I would have an automatic Corvette because part of the fun, a good part of the fun of driving a vet, is shifting those gears. But as you know, Steve, the new 2020 mid-engine has a dual clutch setup and it's actually faster shifting than a human can shift to standard transmission. And it is so much fun to drive. It's just a unique experience. And I decided back in September, actually last August, I took my son to Corvettes at Carlisle, which I've gone to for many, many, many years. And we saw Lance Miller had seven of the new 2020s there. And I had not planned to buy one because in the past when I bought a new Corvette, I usually waited for the higher performance, the Z06 or the ZR1. So I've never bought a base model, but I was absolutely smitten. So I placed an order for the 2020 base model in September. And I picked it up at the museum in March, but it was worth the wait.
1: Absolutely. And I always said, Michael, that the C8 Corvette is still a manual transmission. You just don't shift between the seats. You shift it on the column.
2: That's right. That's right. Yeah.
1: So how many Corvettes are in the collection now with the new 2020 C8?
2: Well, I think at last count, there's 15 or or, or 16.
1: <laughs> What's your favorite car in the collection?
2: Well... That's a question that comes up, and it's a a valid question. Our favorites, for different reasons, they all drive differently. There's a wide range of power, but in terms of sentimentality, I have to go back to the 63 split window. That will always be my sentimental favorite for the reasons that I've enumerated, and it was the first one, and it's such, such a definition of classic Corvette, and I think everyone's mine. But certainly the newer models are so fun to drive with all the power. I have a 2012, which you know was a centennial of Chevrolet, and Corvette did a special edition, a centennial edition in each of those in 2012. And I was able to get then 100 in the ZR1, which of course is the top of the line for that year. That's a special and sort of unique car. So they all have really reasons to be my favorites. I'm very selective. My color range is limited. They're either all black or all silver or a combination of the two colors. That's just my personal preference. Back to your original question, I would have to say that the 63 split windows still and will remain my sentimental favorite.
1: It must be fun to go into the garage and just say, you know, I think I want to take
2: that Corvette today
1: just out for a drive.
2: It really is. It's just a lot of fun. And I'm, I'm very fortunate. I don't take it for granted. I love it.
1: Michael, if anybody's in the Dallas, Fort Worth or Arlington area, can they stop by and see the cars?
2: The collection and garage is not open to the public because it's on our residential property, but. Over the years, I frequently, several times a year, welcome Corvette clubs and others who uh, make a pre arrangement to come. And I always enjoy hosting a, a Corvette club. Right now, that's a little bit constrained because of the pandemic that we're all experiencing. So we're not doing that now and haven't been since all this broke open, but certainly hope to uh, when things get back to whatever the new normal is going to be. We certainly would like to welcome friends and Corvette enthusiasts when we can, hopefully in the not too distant future.
1: In the meantime, people can go to your website, hookedonvets.com and check out the collection.
2: Right, you can do a virtual tour of each car, you can sit behind the wheel, Zoom in and check the mileage. You can see pictures. You can see historical information about the cars. There's quite a bit that you can do on the website and also a way to contact me for the possibility of maybe doing a future tour.
1: That sounds great. We're talking with Michael Brown. Michael is the host, you remember, of Corvette Nation. As a matter of fact, in segment number two, we're going to talk a little bit more about Corvette Nation. You're listening to Corvette Today, the podcast. Yogi Berra once said, if you don't know where you're going, you'll probably end up there. At True Wealth & Company, We take that to heart. See a True Wealth and Company, we believe your retirement lifestyle travels through two doors. Door number one, the blue door, gives you more options, financial freedom. Your money outlives you. Every happiness you wish for in life is through the blue door. Door number two, the red door, is where you outlive your money. You rely on family, friends, or even the state to take care of you. At True Wealth & Company, we're not just financial planners. The best way to walk through the blue door is to have a written plan. Make a work-optional lifestyle a reality with our proprietary True Life Map formula. Look towards your future with anticipation, not apprehension. Having a rock-solid fiduciary partner like True Wealth & Company is essential to effective financial planning. There's no winging it. There's nothing left to chance. Look, we don't want you to become another Yogi Berraism. Give us a call today at 913-653-TRUE. Visit us online at RetireWithTrue.com. Start your financial independence and work optional lifestyle today. 913-653-8783.
0: Visit us online at RetireWithTrue.com. Investment advice offered through True Wealth & Company, LLC. A registered investment advisor in the state of Kansas. You're listening to the Corvette Today Podcast with Steve Garrett.
1: You're listening to Corvette Today, the podcast. I'm your host, Steve Garrett. We're talking with Michael Brown today, the host of Corvette Nation. Michael, in segment number two, I really want to delve into the show and talk about it when it was on the Discovery Channel. Let's talk about Corvette Nation, how long it was there, and your role within the show as well.
2: Well, thanks for that, Steve. You mentioned in your very kind introduction that I had worked many years ago as an anchorman for the ABC affiliate in Dallas and talk show host. So I've been around television all of my adult life. And after I left active television, I started my own video production company. So I had the love of Corvettes and I had the ability to do something visual with Corvettes. And so it was a natural pairing. After I welcomed a few Corvette clubs to the collection and had the garage all tricked out and so forth, it seemed to me that people were complimentary and they seemed to enjoy visiting my collection. And I personally love visiting other Corvette collections. So having the ability and a crew and the equipment and everything, I started periodically in between the paying jobs, and you know how that goes. Oh, yeah. I would go see other collections around the country. I'd just schedule a trip, and we started filming other people's collections and doing what you're doing with me, interviewing the owner, showing the cars, and so forth. And so I titled these segments Vet Collections, and when I would do one, I would say, who else do you know that has a collection? And just started networking. So we cataloged and edited seven or eight-minute segments of each of these collections, and just sort of put them on a shelf with the hopes of someday, somehow, becoming affiliated with a television production, a show, that had to do with Corvettes, because there wasn't anything on the air at the time to that effect. So a group of people came up with the idea of a show called Corvette Nation, and they approached Discovery and got the show greenlighted. So then they started going around contacting Corvette people, looking for content. And they contacted my longtime friend, Lance Miller at Corvettes at Carlisle and said, who do you know? And Lance said, well, you need to talk to Michael Brown. So anyway, that's how that came about. They contacted me. They had a TV show, Greenlighted on Discovery. I had been looking for a TV show I had content, which they needed. I had all of these vet collections segments. So we struck a deal for the first season, and I provided a segment, a seven- or eight-minute segment, which was roughly a third of each show. When you take it's a 30-minute show and take away the time for the commercials, it was about a third of each show, and I was also an on-camera host. So that's how it evolved, and it was a perfect scenario for what I'd been wanting to do, work in television again and talk about corvettes so that's how that all came about we did two seasons unfortunately as sometimes happens there was uh how shall i say there there was a difference of opinion in some things and there was the issue of money came about i put some money into the show and that didn't work out it wound up with legal ramifications or whatever and unfortunately the show sort of went away. There's still a hole and a need for a show like this, and I would love to be a part of it. I'm always looking for the next opportunity, and I think Corvette and all Corvette enthusiasts are still underrepresented at present on television. So, your podcast has certainly uh, moved things up a notch, and it's great that you're doing what you're doing with this because. There's so many outlets, so many aspects of the Corvette community, as you know, and stories to be told. So I'm hoping something else comes along. Well,
1: I hope so, too, Michael. I loved the show for two seasons.
2: Well, thank you.
1: I was so disappointed when it was canceled or, or discontinued, but yeah. I really loved Watching all the vignettes and all the stories and your two co hosts with you, but talk a little bit more about some of the memorable stories that you had on Corvette Nation, some of your favorites.
2: Oh yeah. That's a good question and it's pretty easy. Two or three come to mind immediately. Sandra and I have a place. We've owned a place in western North Carolina for many years, up in the mountains. It's just sort of a getaway and Sandra, you may or may not know, is a fairly successful novelist. And so we would go up there many times, and she would spend two or three weeks writing. And this little town, Highlands, North Carolina, is about 65 miles from Asheville, North Carolina. And I had a little Range Rover Discovery that we left there. So I would take it into Asheville for service. And one day I took it in, and I got to talking to my technician who was working, doing a little work on the car. And told him about my Corvette activities and so forth. And he said, well, you need to meet one of our customers, Bill Mullis. Well, it turns out Bill Mullis had a 100-acre, beautiful 100-acre farm nearby out on the outskirts of Asheville. And he had an almost complete collection of Corvettes, and they were all black. And that made it so unique. So ultimately, I hooked up with Bill. And we did a story on Bill Mullis and his black Corvette collection. I mean, and they started with a 54. They didn't start with a 53, as you know, because the 53 was white, (laughs) the first one. But anyway, we did this story, and it resonated in the Corvette community for some reason, just because it was all black. And so that story now has almost 700,000 views on our YouTube channel. But it still shows up on other things. I see it periodically on the internet. It just resonated with viewers. Another was the sale of the Buddy Heron collection of cars a few years ago in Dallas during a Meekum auction. Buddy was a renowned collector. His collection that he was selling that day was small, only 10 cars. All Chevrolets, but only four were Corvettes, only four. But one of those was a very rare 57 black airbox Corvette, one of only 43 made. Wow! But the most amazing car was a 67 L88, fully restored. And as you know, they only made 20 of those. And this car was absolutely gorgeous, and it wound up selling for $3.2 million. Wow. And I think that was a new world record, and I don't think anything has surpassed it yet. So that was just astounding. I was at that sale. And filmed it, and we produced a segment on that that aired on Corvette Nation. And then finally, the other memorable story, of course, was covering the great sinkhole story at the National Corvette Museum, which happened on February 12th of 2014. I was on a family vacation in South Carolina with Sandra and and some of our extended family members when that story broke, and I just couldn't believe it. And so a couple of weeks later, we took my crew there, and we did a two-part story that aired on Corvette Nation about the sinkhole. And of course, it was a disaster, but it turned out to be uh, really something that raised awareness of the National Corvette Museum worldwide. And so there was definitely a silver lining, and what was a sickening tragedy at the time. So, and if, if you've been to the museum, as many of your listeners have, I'm sure they now have a wonderful exhibit based on the sinkhole and that whole story. And it's a fascinating thing that happened and to think that it happened right there under all of those priceless Corvettes. So those are three stories that really stick out that we contributed to Corvette Nation.
1: Those are huge stories. And I really want to get into a little bit more, a documentary that you did in segment number three. We're going to talk about the quest. We're talking with Michael Brown, the TV host of Corvette Nation, and you are listening to Corvette Today, the podcast.
3: Fact. According to the March of Dimes, 40,000 babies are born each year in the United States with heart defects. At Athletic Testing Solutions, we take that, well, to heart, ATS offers the ATS Heart Check, a series of non-invasive tests to identify possible hidden heart defects in your kid's heart. Frequently, the symptoms of sudden cardiac arrest are masked or misdiagnosed. The ATS Heart Check can help detect congenital heart problems or abnormalities that don't show up during regular checkups or sports physical. The ATS Heart Check is a terrific option, and it gives you peace of mind that your child is heart safe. Sudden cardiac arrest claims on average 130 young lives every week. Don't let your kids be a statistic. The ATS Heart Check takes only 20 to 30 minutes and it utilizes an EKG, an echocardiogram ultrasound of the heart. Visit ATSheartCheck.com. Schedule your child today. Call toll free, 888-537-2597. That's 888-537-2597.
1: This is the Corvette Today Podcast with Steve Garrett. You're listening to Corvette Today, the podcast. I'm your host, Steve Garrett. We have with us today, Michael Brown. You know Michael by face and by voice. He is the host of Corvette Nation. Michael did a documentary that he wrote, produced, and directed called The Quest. Michael, this is just a lead-in. You talk about The Quest because it's a phenomenal documentary for any Corvette enthusiast to watch.
2: Well, thank you for that, Steve. It was a true labor of love. I hearken back to the story I mentioned earlier about going around the country doing the vet collection segments. I was at, I think it was in January of 2010, I was at Barrett-Jackson in Scottsdale with some friends. I always go to that, that show. It's not a Corvette show, of course. It's a car show on steroids. I'm sure you've been. Someone introduced me to Lance Miller. Now, I'd never met Lance. I knew who he was. And more importantly, I knew who his father was, Chip Miller. Chip and Bill Miller, no relation, but just good friends, were the co-founders back in the early 70s of the what's grown to be Carlisle events. And one of the biggest events of all is Corvettes at Carlisle. So when I bought the 63 split window back in 1985, I just knew if you're a Corvette guy, you go to this show called Corvettes at Carlisle. So for many years, I went to the show by myself. I was not really involved in the community. My wife is not really a car person. So it wasn't the kind of thing where I joined clubs because it's a social thing. I just went to Corvettes at Carlisle. So I knew who Chip Miller was. I never got to meet him. So when I met Lance, I told him, I said, what I just mentioned, I said, I've gone to your show many years. I'm doing these things called vet collections. I know you took over when your father passed his collection, and I know you've added to it and made it your own. Would you be interested in allowing me to bring a crew to Pennsylvania to do a segment with you on the collection? He said, absolutely. I mean, Lance is such a laid back, nice guy. And so we made arrangements and four or five weeks later, I'm there with my crew. So we did as we usually do. We spent an hour or two shooting the collection from every angle, and then we sat down and did the interview part face-to-face, just as you and I are doing now, except of course this was on video. And so Lance started tell, I was asking him specifics about each car. And in one of the cars, he started telling me this story about this C1 Corvette, this 1960 Corvette And as he told me this and what he was planning to do with this car to honor his father, I know I became slack-jawed. I said, wait a minute. This is what you're planning to do. I said, Lance, this is more than a segment. This needs to be a movie. So I actually put the whole Vet Collections idea on hold. And I said, would you be open to allowing us to tell this story? The story, as you know, Steve, it's a fabulous story. It's too long to get into here, but the bottom line is Chip Miller was a Corvette enthusiast from the time he was a teenager, and he became infatuated with these 1960 Corvettes. There were three of them that were taken to the famous Le Mans 24-hour race in France in 1960. That was the same year that Chip graduated from high school. Whatever. Flash forward a couple of decades, he's now a successful man with Corvettes at Carlisle. He decides he wants to try to find this number three car, which was the only one of the three that finished the race back in 1960. Everybody laughed at it, thought these cars are too big. They've got bad brakes. They'll never finish. It not only finished, it won its class and placed eight overall against all of these European purpose-built race cars. But back then, it was like race them on Sunday, sell them on Monday. These cars just vanished. Now we know these are Corvette history, and they're extremely valuable. So people like Kevin McKay, these guys go out and find these cars. Kevin eventually located what was left of this car And with Chip's help, they acquired it, they restored it, and Chip's goal was to take this car back on the 50th anniversary of its win in June of 2010 and do a ceremonial lap if the car could be found, and certainly they did find it. But before that could happen, something tragic happened with Chip, and he lost his life. He was not able. So Lance stepped in and said, I want to fulfill my father's dream. So the story of the quest, and that title just popped into my head because it is a quest on so many levels. It was a quest to find the car. It was a quest to restore it, to acquire it, and ultimately to take it back to France on the 50th anniversary of this most historic win. It was also a quest to take one or both of the drivers, the original drivers, if they were still living. One of them was. A man named John Fitch, who Corvette enthusiasts know, was one of the greatest Corvette drivers of all time and a wonderful man. He was in his early 90s. So he just had all of these elements. And so we wound up shooting almost a year in 13 states from coast to coast, tracking the elements of this story down. And then we spent a week in France at Le Mans, where this story culminated. And it's an emotional story on, on many levels. As you know, Steve, you've kindly said you've seen it a couple of times. It's not just Corvette history. It's Corvette racing history. It's father-son. It's fulfillment. It's loss. It's redemption. It was that perfect storm of stories that just fell into my lap. And it's the kind of thing you look for. Sometimes you find it. Sometimes it finds you. Sometimes you never find it. So that's in a long nutshell, the story of the quest, but it does have so many elements and it was a wonderful experience being a part of that.
1: It's a great story. It's a great documentary, Michael, and I love it. I Thank you. I've watched it multiple times. A, a tear comes to my eye at the end of it, watching the driver with Lance in the car yeah. take that ceremonial lap around Le Mans. Yeah. It's just, it's a phenomenal story.
2: It's a choker. I feel like I know Chip and knew him, even though, as I said, I never met him, because I spent literally dozens, if not hundreds of hours looking through interviews of him that had been done in the past and looking at hundreds of stills, all of the elements that went into making this film. I really feel a kinship through Lance in knowing Chip, even though I never really did. Right. Right.
1: It's a shame you never had a chance to meet Lance's dad, Chip. I know. I know. I'll tell you what, the documentary is just phenomenal. As a matter of fact, Michael, where can people see that documentary now? Isn't it on YouTube and on your YouTube channel?
2: I don't think the whole thing is. I really need to look into getting it streamed. and I just haven't done that. There are two or three trailer, four or five minute extended trailers that can be seen on our YouTube channel. But, one of my goals in the near future is to get that available for streaming, And I'll be sure to let you know and make that information available as soon as we can make that happen.
1: That would be wonderful because we can put it on Corvette today and make sure everybody that listens to the podcast has access to it so they can watch it. and, Boy, what a great thing to watch for any Corvette enthusiast. You're also a collector of something that I love. As a matter of fact, I feel kind of a kinship to you. And, you know, we really have just met, but I love neon signs. You have a phenomenal, phenomenal (laughs) collection of neon signs. Talk about your collection and where that is. Is it right with all your Corvette collection as well?
2: Yeah, it's some of them are with the Corvette, and then the neon collection sort of took a life of its own. And there is a residence on our property that is not lived in. Our main residence is on this three-acre property, but there was another residence that we own that is within the walls of this property, and that's where most of the neon signs are. That came about really when I built the garage after we purchased this property about 15 years ago. We had been on a 22-acre, more rural property, but we wanted to get, quote, back into town. And so we wanted to move back into Arlington proper. And it's kind of hard to find three acres in a residential area. But we were able to buy this house that was already on two acres. And the residence next door was on one acre. And it was also for sale. So we bought them simultaneously, replatted, and made it into one three-acre property. We never lived in the other residence. But it's a place where I have a property manager and some day workers who help us out. And uh, so that was sort of their headquarters. So when I started decorating the garage that we built for the collection, I initially just started buying some non-valuable Corvette-related neon signs for decoration. But then as I got into it, I really started looking for authentic, in other words, original neon signs, most of them porcelain, the kind of signs that were made back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s that are not made anymore and are becoming more and more valuable and more rare. So as I started collecting those, I filled the Corvette garage up with more original And then I moved over into the other residence, which just has original neon signs. So, yeah, it's kind of like the Corvette collection. It took on a life of its own. But it's really a museum-sized collection, and I wish it were in a museum. I always, when Corvette clubs come to tour the collection, I always start them at the front door of that residence, and we take them through and show just the neon signs, and then we go next door into the corvette so anybody who gets to tour the corvette garage also gets to see the neon signs if i win the lottery someday i'm going to buy a property or build a property and open up a museum because young people especially they're fascinated they've never seen neon signs and you don't see many of them anymore in the wild as we enthusiasts say So you either have to go to a museum or you'll see a lot of them that are just ignored and broken or whatever. I really love the neon signs. And there are several videos on the YouTube channel which you can see the collection and they're put to music and so forth. So between Corvettes and Neons, my wife is like, what, couldn't you collect butterflies or something? That's funny. Coins.
1: All right, you got to fess up, Michael. How many neon signs are in the collection?
2: At last count, There are, in the residence that I mentioned, there are 110, and they're all sizes. Gosh, I've got a firestone with an arrow, flashing arrow, that weighs 850 pounds. And we had to do some engineering because this house had an indoor swimming pool. The house was actually built in 72. We filled that in, but that was the only part of the house that was two-story. So it enabled us to hang some neon signs up high initially. But we had to do some engineering because they're so heavy. But it makes an impressive collection, if I do say so myself. So hopefully we'll get to welcome some of your listeners one of these days if we get through this crazy time.
1: That would be great, buddy. That would be really, really wonderful. As a matter of fact, I'm the president of the Corvette Club of Kansas City, Missouri. That would be a great destination trip for us to come and see you. That would be wonderful. Real quickly, talk about the YouTube channel and where people can see all the videos and all the stuff besides hookedonvets.com.
2: Yeah. The easiest thing to do is just go to YouTube, and in the search, just type in Michael Brown Corvettes. Enter that, and then you'll see a bunch of them, and then you can pick any one of them or go to the top where it says videos, and then that'll just drop down, and there's, I don't know, I have counted 60 or 70 videos. A lot of them Corvette-related, a lot of them neon-related, a lot of them just fun stuff. It's real easy to take Corvettes too seriously. I love Corvettes. I love to drive them. I love to collect them. I love to look at them but I also like to have fun with them. So we've done two or three videos over the years where we poke a little bit of fun. The 2009 ZR1 of course was the first year that they came out with this turbocharged engine. It's an amazing car and everybody was talking about the speed of them and all of this and so I took a different tack and we with tongue firmly in cheek did a like an infomercial, a two or three minute commercial on the all electric ZR1, which of course doesn't exist. And the tagline is six mile long extension cord optional (laughs) at extra cost. So you'll find a whole variety of videos, some serious, some having a little bit of fun.
1: Well, Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to be on Corvette today. I love the stories. I appreciate your time and all the best of luck. And I'm going to make a road trip to come down and see you with the Corvette Club of Kansas City.
2: Thank you, Steve. I'll look forward to seeing you and your club down here and perhaps other clubs as well. And thanks for the great work and the invitation to be on Corvette Today podcast. Good luck with the show. I think you're really onto something and you do a great job.
1: Thank you, Michael. I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. You've been a a wonderful guest and I'd love to have you back on again sometime soon.
2: We'll look forward to that.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Brown, host of Corvette Nation and neon sign collector extraordinaire. Thanks to our flagship sponsor, our Corvette Today, Hendrick Chevrolet at ChevyUSA.com.
0: You've been listening to Corvette Today with Steve Garrett. If you'd like to contact Steve with any thoughts on the podcast or ideas for guests on Corvette Today, you can email him at stevegarrettdj at gmail.com. That's stevegarrettdj at gmail.com. Garrett has two R's and two T's. Or connect with Steve on social media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram using at SteveGarrettDJ. Thanks again for listening to Corvette Today.